You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake, and we have a dynamic duo today. Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro, is with us, and our very own Weston Nakamura, who's kind enough to jump in here at, like, the wee hours of the morning or really late at night. I'm not even sure which it qualifies as in Asia to help us out. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, Maggie. What's up? How are you? You're doing well. And Weston, special shout out for you sacrificing your beauty sleep for us. We really appreciate it. Um, but I asked you to jump on today because I think this story about what's unfolding in Japan is not getting enough attention or explanation in traditional media. You've been all over it for us on Real Vision and on Twitter. And I wanted to make sure that all of our viewers were as informed as possible. So over the last week or so, we've seen a rapid weakening of the Japanese yen. What's going on? And what what do we need to understand about this situation? Sure. Um, so thanks for having me on. Um, so first of all, I just want to say that I do have two videos out on Real Vision YouTube to explain all this much more in depth. Um, so I'm just going to do a very quick gloss over. But yes, Yen has been getting crushed. Um, so the Some people, including the governor of the Bank of Japan, Kuroda, has, also, has been saying this is dollar strength. This is not dollar strength. If you just look at charts of, you know, the uh, dollar against the euro, against the British pound, against the Swiss franc, whatever it may be, and then against the yen, you can clearly see the yen getting crushed 8% this month alone. It, this is a yen weakness move. Um, the thing is that, yes, the yen, the currency itself, you know, moving at whatever is like three sigma move. It is very notable, but what really um, the focus should be on is are actually JGBs and JGB yields. That's really where like the focus should be on, not so much the yen. The yen is more so of a byproduct of what is happening within yields and yield curve control in Japan and how that relates to um, you know, U.S. Treasury yields and sovereign yields and therefore global risk assets. So why why is this happening right now? If we should be focusing on the yield, but it's having this knock-in effect on the currency, why does it seem like it's sort of accelerating and coming to a head now? What's going on now as opposed to, say, you know, over the course of the year or the last couple of years? Why does now seem like a, a critical point? Sure. So um, basically what's happening is that there's there's two general forces at play right now. Uh, one of them is this policy divergence and this this rate, uh, this yield spread divergence between Japan and the U.S. or Japan and Europe. Mostly, let's just talk about you know U.S. and Japan yield spreads and uh, U.S. and Japan policy divergence. So that's one part of it. The other is that uh, Japan is currently scrambling to import energy, for which it is in dire need of. Um, this is like an ongoing thing um, with the war in Ukraine and all that. But in addition to that, you also had a seven magnitude earthquake um, hit Japan recently and take out a lot of energy supply. And so that's also happening. So those are the two things that are happening. So on, on the first one, 
um, what's happening is that the Bank of Japan has been um, instituting a policy of yield curve control for the last, since September of 2016, which is arguably one of the most significant um, monetary policy, um, you know, that's been put into place over the last half a decade. Even though it's been happening in the background, uh, and it's not being reported on because it's, you have something like 50-something um, central bank uh, monetary policy meetings from the BOJ that have been unchanged. But unchanged does not mean inaction. And so what yield curve control is, is there's two components of it. The, you have the front end, uh, the policy rate, which is at minus 0.1 percent. That's a negative rate. And then at the long end, BOJ is um, pinning the 10-year JGB yield at around zero. And that around is a very key phrase, but around zero. And so how do they do this? So what they do is there's two ways that the Bank of Japan buys JGBs, one of which is a regular scheduled uh, operation. That's not really that important. The second way, however, is what's called a fixed rate operation in which when yields get too high, when 10-year JGB yields get too high and they start to approach a certain level, in this case, it's 25 basis points, um, the Bank of Japan will step in at any moment and offer to buy an unlimited amount of JGBs uh, at a certain level. And theoretically, you have an unlimited printing press, um, the market can throw whatever it's got at it, and the <clears throat> Bank of Japan's like wall of, of buying will cap uh, yields. And so when that happens, and so that's that's been in place for, you know, since September of 2016. And so what that does is when JGB yields are kept at around zero and Japan has trillions in cash that's that they're sitting on because they're deflationary cash orders, Japan is an elderly society sitting on a lot of cash. They need to find yield. And so they go overseas to find yield. And so when BOJ caps 10-year JGB yields, they, uh, Japanese investors, um, buy overseas sovereign debt like U.S. Treasuries, and they cap U.S. Treasury yields, and therefore you have indirect and unofficial yield curve control on, you know, the U.S. sovereign curve. Um, and therefore, that keeps down, you know, interest rates in the United States. That uh, uplifts risk assets, including the S&P 500. It allows for governments like Congress to run absurd deficits because borrowing costs are, you know, kept uh, very low. And, you know, um, there's this kind of unconditional uh, cap on, you know, borrowing costs, not just in the U.S., but, you know, in Europe and all that. And, and so all of that's been in place. And, and what's happening right now is that you're now in a situation in which— um, global central banks are now pulling back from this decade of easy monetary policy that's been in place, leaving Bank of Japan to be the only central bank, major central bank left, that is instituting easing, not not just like not tightening or whatever, like active easing. And so the question is, can Bank of Japan keep um, this lid on, you know, JGB yields and therefore sovereign yields globally? And if they can't, what what happens if they can't or if they right? Won't? It's almost like a rubber band stretching because you've got them moving in one direction and the Bank of Japan trying to tether those yields and keep them down. And presumably they're doing that what because they feel like their economy that's been deflationary and stuck in subpar growth needs that stimulus, right? That they that they need that help. Is that why they've been doing that? Yeah, well, so BOJ is by far the most, the deepest in the whole of all central banks. Um, so there's no other central bank that owns more than half of its country's sovereign debt. Uh, BOJ cannot um, unwind this. You, you cannot start selling JGBs into a market that you've destroyed that doesn't exist. Um, yep. And 
so what the significance of like right now as in like this week is that the bank japan has um announced on monday they announced the fixed rate operation which in which they're buying an unlimited amount of jgbs to cap the yield um had a very volatile day and then after that for the next three days um until thursday they have announced uh, three more fixed-rate operations. So they're essentially going to be buying an unlimited amount of JGBs for the next three days into fiscal year Japan fiscal year end, which is the end of March. And the idea is that the um, Bank of Japan is trying to hold the line and assuming and hoping that come April 1st, um, when it's a new fiscal year, Japan, corporate Japan will redeploy capital um, overseas and start buying, you know, bonds. And so the BOJ doesn't have to do so anymore. But right now at 25 basis points, which is right where it is, if the market like moves higher than that, and if the market realizes that the Bank of Japan actually does not have the firepower that it is currently, you know, attempting to exert and is exerting successfully so far. Um, and, and if you see JGB yields just, like kind of break out then global sovereign yields are just going to break out um much higher and then it, if should that happen risk assets are done so like right okay, now we're so that, that's right a now. really i just want to pause there because that's a really really important point and this is the the connectivity to what's happening in japan to every other asset market that we're all looking at that we all want to know should we buy this is it bottomed our yields going to go higher interest rates going to go higher this is what's so important and we always talk about you know china being big holder of u.s treasuries and if they pull back their treasuries japan's role in this interconnected global economy is so so important so just 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 go back through that Weston, so we all understand so if if they lose they're intervening and they are holding if it, if they if the market overwhelms them and they lose control of the yield curve then that will push up government bonds around the world and what do you mean risk assets are dead uh, unpack that just for a moment for us before we bring Darius back in sure so, um, Brian, if you pull up chart um, one, um, in chart one, you'll see this is just basically uh, the 10-year JGB yield under yield curve control and the U.S. Treasury yield um, just laid on top of each other. And so you can see that, like, when, you know, Japan is at its upper limit, like, when yields can't get any, you know, uh, higher in Japan because it's being manipulated or it's by policy it's being fixed— uh, Japan buys overseas uh, debt, and so like yeah, the U.S. is you know China is a big creditor to the U.S. Japan is the largest creditor to the United States, largely in part because of policies like this, um, and so it's capping U.S. Um, you know uh, Treasury yields, and so if U.S. Treasury yields are being capped indirectly by you know Japanese uh, buyers, then it allows for you know a, a low interest rate environment. Darius could tell you all you know all day about um, you know uh, the effect that low low yields have on uh, things like tech stocks and how um, you know a a higher yield environment is going to crush premiums um, and and PE ratios and all that too. Right. So so that's basically what what we're facing. I mean that's what we've been seeing in terms of a year to date like Nasdaq led tech led sort of sell off. Um, and then yeah. like in chart two, uh, Brian, you'll see like this. Um, th this is a this is a very like, you know, directly correlated sort of phenomenon. So you have the U.S. Uh, and J Japan ten-year yield spread, and dollar yen, and they're basically moving right in tandem with one another. That's a direct reflection of that. Um, when ten-year JGB yields are kept, 
the U.S. whatever the U.S. Uh, you know ten-year yield is doing, that's what the yield spread is going to be. And so as U.S. yields move higher, you know dollar yen moves higher as well. And so when you're seeing what you're seeing right now is like a you know a, a surge in in global yields, and you're seeing the Bank of Japan just you know put their foot down saying we are not um budging from our policy because Japan has been f- trying to generate inflation for the last what 30 years since the bubble burst right <laughs> abenomics is in 10 years of of you know of doing this this is this policy mind you was put in place in order to generate inflation Japan gets in place inflation that's a, a good thing right the, the the whole thing used to be like the yen getting too strong that's when like job one comes in that's when like there's concern not necessarily when there was like you know weakening so uh all, all this is so the Yen basically just moving eight percent month to date is a function of this this widening yield spread between Japan and the U.S. or Japan and and, and other um, sovereign yield curves, um, and the, the currency sort of moving accordingly. If you start seeing the currency, if you see start, start seeing like dollar yen move downwards while yields are moving upwards overseas, that means that you know I mean or that that's that's how it should be. But if you start seeing it because um, Bank of Japan lost control of their yield curve. That's really, really bad because that gets into like a bank of uh, that gets into like a Bank of England George Soros sort of situation. Exactly yes, and for yeah, and, and come on in here, Darius. And for those, first of all, JGBs we've been talking about the whole time. I think most people know, but they're Japanese government bonds. Just to for those who may be listening and not in front of a computer and and don't know that. And 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 you know, Darius, when you hear someone say something like that, and this is why I I really wanted Weston to come on and talk about this. And we have relatively calm markets and equities and commodities. We're a little bit of a standstill today. We've got a payroll number out in the U.S. tomorrow. So I thought it was a good opportunity to sort of dig in and take a look at this. I mean, Darius, when you hear something like that, it's got to raise concern because we know that was a huge moment for global markets when sources hedge fund basically like went against the bank of england who was trying to keep the pounds in an ex- in a fixed rate range with other currencies back when there were a lot of currencies and when, when that busted everything changed you know what, what do you make of that when you hear something like that well, that's exactly what the situation is. I mean, Weston's hit the nail on the head. It is a, a Bank of England style speculator attack on the Japanese yen and on the the, the, the expectation that they will force the, the import price dynamics that we're seeing from obviously commodity price uh, supply shocks will force the Bank of Japan to adopt a new policy. The difference between this and the Bank of England is obviously you had the Bank of England or the UK economy is slowing towards a below trend pace and eventually winding up in recession on the other side of that. And so there's a real need for the Bank of England to adopt a different policy, a different policy framework with respect to its exchange rate. There's not as much of a need for the Bank of Japan to do something like that, to do an about face or a big pivot. Um, uh, Brian, if you put up that chart, I sent you Japan growth and inflation. Um, th- that chart shows our forecast for growth on the left and our forecast for inflation out of the Japanese economy on the right. And you know, in terms of where we are today, from where we are today to where we, our model has Japan inflation sort of peaking in and around April and kind of trading sideways from there, we're only talking about another kind of 50, 60 basis points from here. So it's very unlikely, at least according to our forecast and what's all being sort of priced into our models, um, from a last price perspective, that we see enough inflation for the Bank of Japan to really have to pivot on this policy. So um, it's unlikely this speculative attack is going to sort of catalyze a big sort of uh, widening of the band of the JGB yield band. Uh, but it could see, you know, we could see continued speculation um, until the market finally gets gets enough of, of someone with an unlimited budget really pushing back on those on those positions. 
Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Darius, we, uh, well, I also want to ask you about this. Are levels significant here if we're looking at how this is playing out through the yen? I saw somewhere someone talking about a 125 death print. Is 125 this area uh, for dollar yen that people are really focused on for some particular reason? Is it a really important part of a ban that's been in place for a long time? Is that something, is that a level you're watching? What are your charts telling you? No, it's not. I mean, so the Japanese yen has been bearish from the perspective of our volatility adjusted momentum signal for, for quite some time. So that, that that's not particularly uh, uh, exciting in and of itself. I think the speed of decline is the issue. Um, whenever you have, you know, currencies moving up or down in a, in a very quick manner, what tends to ha- it tends to destabilize financial markets because it obviously is destabilizing the entire sort of edifice of imports and exports and you know the price level of the broader economy. And so that is an issue. So the speed of the decline is an issue. Japanese yen is down roughly around six percent month over month. That's a massive, massive move in in a in a, in a sort of G four style you know global reserve currency. It's just it's 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 breathtaking. Uh, but we have seen some reprieve week to date. Um, so one thing we called out actually um, yesterday morning in our crowding analysis, uh, where we look at the relationship between uh, the deviation in skew and volatility risk premium, the Japanese yen got extremely oversold from that perspective. And we've seen a kind of a, a pretty meaningful, pretty uh, multi-pip uh, pullback, or, you know, in terms of um, the USD JPY rate. Um, and who knows if that was the top that we just saw. Um, I'd be lying if I said I knew what the top is and all this. But the reality is, I think the speculators are probably going to have enough of the Bank of Japan defending, uh, because again, there's really no reason for them to stop uh, this program. Yeah. Um, so Weston, the, the the big outstanding question is, does it work? It seems to think, Darius, you seem to think that they're going to be able to hold the line, you know, but we know, I, I mean, from what I've seen, anytime you have central banks intervening, um, you know, over time, if you draw a line in the sand, the, the you know, market forces go, go for you and you can, you can change the pace, but a lot of times it's hard to win that. Can the Bank of Japan succeed here? If inflation stays under control, absolutely. That's it's the it's it's the, it's not whether or not the line in the sand is defendable. It's whether the economy will allow you to defend the line in the sand. And that's what happened. The Soros understood that if the uh, England or Bank of England maintained this sort of fixed exchange rate policy, that the U the UK economy would eventually slow in a recession and they'd have to pivot and um, and ultimately turn dovish anyways. And they were right on that that view, that forecast. You have to have a variant perception to put these kinds of trades on. Um, yeah. Our perception is that the inflation dynamics in the Japanese economy are unlikely to get to a persistently sort of elevated level or elevated state that causes the Bank of Japan to say, hey, no, wait. We're doing too much on the balance sheet expansion front. Um, I think we're we're sort of a long ways away from whatever that level might be. I, I, su- I suppose it's probably somewhere around one and a half, two percent in terms of uh, core CPI over in Japan, and we're just not not near that. Yeah, Weston, what's your take? I, I think Darius has a you know has a very 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 strong grasp of what exactly is happening. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, you're asking like, are they going to succeed? So, you know, define success. So right now, yeah. like, so, Brian, if you put up chart four, right? So right now we are in the thick of this moment. Um, you have 
a race against the clock where the Bank of Japan is attempting to cap yields at uh, 25 basis points and is doing so. And by the way, you can see the last time, you know, in mid-February when Bank of Japan uh, had its, um, you know, like that that spike up to that yields uh, curve control level, they did a fixed rate operation to offer to buy unlimited, and that put a cap on global sovereign yields, including uh, treasuries. That was the top of treasuries for that moment, and then you had treasuries move down. Um, right now, you're battling between uh, that and fiscal year end, which starts on, uh, or fiscal year start on, um, on in April. So the next few days is very critical. If the Bank of Japan cannot hold that level, um, then things can get right, really out of control, just like Darius is saying, like, you know, the ERM uh, mechanism with the Bank of England, or if you want to talk about August um, 2015, China DVAL, or like anytime you have like, you know, because this would be like a DPEG, anytime you have like this, um, you know, some top-down policy force against markets that are not, that don't want to behave the way that policymakers are forcing them to behave, um, and once markets realize like that the, you know, emperor has no clothes, then, you know, things get way out of hand and they go one directionally against the, you know, um, against the central bank or the, the policymaker and uh, and then it's all over. So the next few days, if they hold that line, then fine, they can declare victory for that. But then what? If global yields continue to, you know, move higher, Bank Japan is going to keep finding itself in this situation again, just again and again, defending this 25 basis point uh, level. And so they're either going to have to move that level upwards um, you know, provided that Japan is not immune from, like, you know, inflation. Japan is a huge commodity importer, as Darius was saying. You know, we have um, PPI at, you know, 9%, you know, 10 consecutive months. Uh, CPI may, may be flat, but that means that, you know, producers are uh, just not passing that cost along to um, to their, the, the consumers. How long is that going to be sustainable if they're getting hit on their margins? All these sort of things, like at some point, the Bank of Japan is going to have to move that rate or they're going to have to make some sort of policy change because right now Bank of Japan is the only central bank that is actively um, implementing the QE regime that all central banks had been doing all along, and it's basically the only one left doing so, and every other central bank just, you know, ditching that policy as if there's going to be no consequences. Well, those consequences are being held at bay because of the Bank of Japan. What happens when the Bank of Japan can no longer do that? And so that's what really is the thing. So there's no real end to it, and, and the, as far as I'm concerned, at some point, I don't know if it's going to be this week, or I don't know if it's going to be, you know, years from now, but um, BOJ uh, is going to have to, like, it's the current st state of affairs with uh, yield curve control, it cannot last, it's unsustainable to, you know, to, to last forever. And so at some point, they're going to have to tweak that. And when they do, it's not going to be some silent thing that happens in markets that goes unnoticed. It's it's going to be a massive, massive, you know, market event. Um, so, yeah, we have to keep an eye on things like, you know, Forge Macro telling us, what's going on with Japan CPI, because that's going to dictate whether or not Bank of Japan um, can, is going to start moving, you know, adjusting their um, yield curve control levels. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can tell you what's going on with Japan CPI, but yeah, at what level will they determine uh, that this, this policy is, is moot and, 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 and un, unworthy or unworthwhile? That, that's, that, that's for them to determine. As, you know, I certainly wouldn't have the, look, the inside look on that. But we know, I mean, core CPI in Japan is minus 1.8 percent. Core CPI X food, or just uh, CPI X food, is minus 0.6 percent. You know, these numbers are very different than the 40-year highs in inflation we're dealing with in the U.S. or the all-time highs in inflation we're dealing with in Europe. You know, the structural inflation, the cyclical and structural inflation dynamics in these economies. 
economies are just very different. And that's why you're seeing a big difference in the repricing of uh, sovereign debt curves, and particularly on the long end of the curve, but more importantly, particularly on the short end of the curve. You look at overnight uh, index swaps, hoards, and euro, the British pound, U.S. dollar, you know, these curves are pricing in another somewhere between 175 and 250 basis points of tightening out of these central banks over the next calendar year. That's just not something we're, we're really ever going to see um, out of the Bank of Japan. You know, they may widen the band with respect to um, uh, with respect to the JGB yield tar yield curve control, but that that's probably it. I mean, it's unlikely Jap uh, Japanese inflation dynamics get to that point, and we're also getting closer to the peak of some of these inflation dynamics in the economies I just referenced. So, you know, if we get more, if they buy themselves time, i.e., like two to three months of time, then this whole thing could be very moot. But I do believe it's a very important risk to call out. I'm glad you're happy. We have you on, Weston. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's exactly what Kuroda is, is counting on. There is is Darius's like uh, view, like that you know, just a few more months. By the way, his tenure is up uh, in about a year, um, and the next BOJ governor, if they can, if he continues, he or she continues on with Kuroda's policy from that meeting, then he's stuck with that policy. So. I think that there's going to be a massive shift in policy that they cannot break out of. So Corona cannot undo this policy right now, because if you do so, you're you're admitting that you've made a major policy mistake this entire time. Uh, so you need well, to— we, so, know, we, know, we know central bankers don't like to do that, Weston. They, they do not do that. <laughs> detrimental. You, can't, you, can, you cannot do that, right. Yeah. So, like, so, Brian, if you go to chart three, right, this is, like, the, the one other thing, too, that's moving the yen that I think is being very much overlooked. So, like I said, we had a seven-magnitude earthquake on FOMC day, for like, four hours before FOMC. I had a blackout. I was trading on my iPad in the dark um, on, uh, for FOMC. And um, so— what the, what happened then was um, Japan is a major importer, is the largest importer of uh, LNG in the world. And Japan actually just before this diverted um, an LNG shipment from the United States that was supposed to get to Europe, you know, to try to help out. You know, like that was that was nice that they did that. And obviously, you know, there's going to be a seven magnitude earthquake. But now that they did that, Japan is like scrambling right now for um, for LNG. And so they're buying at spot market. And so what you're seeing right now, especially with fiscal year end and no real corporate activity at, like happening, uh, plus the speculative, you know, speculative flows and all that. If you look at like, you know, yen futures that are getting shorted by uh, levered hedge funds, and all that. But like you'll see this um, huge divergence in uh, so Japan imports mostly from Australia uh, and then some from the U.S. But um, you see that like the uh, like Aussie yen and uh, dollar yen move more or less in tandem. And then right at that mark, you see like Aussie yen really just, just start to outperform um, by, you know, several percentage points over dollar yen. And that outperformance of Aussie yen is moving right in tandem with NACS. So my my conclusion from that is that what else is pushing uh, yen weaker is Japan's actual like day-to-day -day procurement of um, of uh, LNG uh, you know imports. They're having to sell yen to buy, you know buy Australian dollars or whatever it is in order to do that. And so you're also seeing that contribute as well. Um, so that's something that, like, it's not just purely like a monetary policy divergence thing uh, either. There's actually, you know, that like commodity import fundamental force actually happening too that's being swept under the rug because, again, the timing of it was right when FOMC happened. So people think that, you know, they kind of sweep it all together, but there is that yeah. happening as well. And I think this is what's important because this 
this these important moves are happening while we've got so much else happening. In fact, John John in the questions was like, the markets are moving this way, that way. Well, I'm confused. We're all, we're all confused. We're all trying to work it out because there's so many cross currents. Darius, based on what we've been talking about, the risk to risk assets, uh, you know, the the scenario that Weston laid out, if the BOJ can't hold and you see yields. Uh, move higher and, and what that does to risk assets. What, what are you expecting for stocks? Does that increase the risk profile for what stocks are potentially going to do? We have TC asking any commentary on quarter end. Uh, Yo-Yo asking, do you see a bottom for the market in Q2 or Q3? Or is it going to be, you know, a long way into it? What What, what is your forecast? Yeah, so I think you have to sort of separate the the kind of idiosyncratic dynamics with respect to the BOJ's balance sheet away from the broader sort of cyclical dynamics that we, you know, we've been highlighting on the program for several months, which is a you know slowdown to below trend growth in not just the U.S. but the global economy, potential recession, having to price in that growth slowdown, which remains ahead of us um, in realized terms. Um, with respect to the Bank of Japan. You know, let's play this. Let's play this out because I thought Weston uh, did a great job of sort of, you know, uh, following the bouncing ball. If the BOJ did, for any reason, decide that they needed to widen the band on a teal curve control, and we saw a revision um, to that to that rate, I mean, who knows what the size of the revision would be? Could be 10 basis points, could be 20 basis points to the upside. That's not a huge move. But it's a, certainly a big move in signaling terms because I think it'll invigorate the market to threaten them for more. Give us more. You know, get, we don't know what the, I don't, who knows what the level might be, and so you could see some real heavy selling um, in the treasury market, in the in the in the boon market, or you know across global sovereign debt markets broadly, particularly in the kind of G4 central bank. Um, type sovereign debt markets, because that's where a lot of the JGB speculation tends to go to on a, on a, on a currency hedge basis. And you know, if you saw that, you're going to get a big unwind of the dollar. Uh, there's a big weakening in the dollar. That could be positive for risk assets at the margins. But right now, the biggest factor that's really uh, driving risk assets is, in fact, bond prices. You know, it, it tends to happen. And we had a, I had a conversation on, on Real Vision back in October uh, with Yuri and Timber of Fidelity. And we talked about how when inflation is north of 5%, you know, they're roughly around 5%, you typically have a positive correlation between stocks and bonds. And so if you talk about another leg down in bond prices as a function of a potential change in uh, JGB policy, which will have you know ramifications, then you're talking about a potential another leg down uh, in stocks and you know kind of the end of this sort of bear market bounce you know, we've been calling for. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I want to ask you about Bitcoin and, and, and crypto in a minute because mm-hmm. I, I want to understand how that fits into this puzzle. But but Weston, I want to give I want to put this question to you coming from John on the RV site. Um, it's interesting. It, it, he's saying it looks like the euro is th- also threatening to break down. Given euro breakdown, JPY breakdown, TLT breakdown, is the market sending us some kind of message? He's he, I think it, the market's sending a strong message. What are your thoughts? Again, back to this idea that we have. Things happening in many different markets. Mm-hmm. Weston, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say it's sending us a message. Like the what you're seeing, it it 
is the message like like what you're saying yeah. like that, that the what's happening is like you know so so the, i guess if you want to think of it in terms of a message so uh darius mentioned like you know currency volatility before right now if you look at like um so cme has like the c vol index which is it's kind of like the like the vix but like the vix just calculates at the money um one month forward implied uh, volatility on at the money but civil is for all strikes not just the at the money strikes so the civil index on um on yen futures um which are usually below uh g5 yen futures and uh implied volatility is now above the g5 um basket which which means that there is you know a, a a ton of expected volatility in the yen, which is typically supposed to be this very dead flat you know nothingness. Um, so yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of implications within within the yen and, and all that too. I'll also say too that for for the yen as which is seen as like this safe haven currency, but currently it's obviously not behaving as a safe haven currency. Um, when you have risk off, uh, usually what happens is everything you know floods into the dollar. Uh, dollars the safe haven uh, from risk assets, and then the uh, safe haven from the dollar is gold and the yen. Um, if neither of those two, especially the yen, are behaving in a way of like if they're not being used as a, you know like a haven asset, then you know, maybe I could ask Darius this, but what does that mean? Does that mean that? Um, there's another sort of uh, hedge out there, or are investors just sitting out there unhedged? No, so I, I think what it, what it sort of, you know. Yeah, no, that's a great, phenomenal question, a great observation. That's a very that's a very minute and detailed observation. And and in our process, you know, what you just described is the difference between what we call inflation and deflation. Those are the two risk off regimes in our grid framework. Uh, when you're in deflation. The Japanese yen, the Swiss franc are taking points away from the dollar. Dollar is usually strong alongside gold, but the Japanese yen and Swiss franc tend to outperform all of the currencies. When you're in inflation, it's the dollar that is typically strong because during uh, periods of inflation, uh, as you know, and that mean what that means is growth is trending lower in leading indicators terms, and inflation is trending higher in headline CPI terms. So that's what inflation means. Deflation obviously means both are going down at the same time. Uh, when you're in inflation, the dollar tends to be broadly strong across all currencies. Because the sort of the the relative change in Fed policy tends to be more dominant to the hawkish side relative to other economies, which tend to get out front and front run the Fed for some of these changes. And so that's typically what you've seen. I'm actually been surprised at how persistently weak the euro has been. Um, we're dollar bulls. We've been long dollar for a while. Um, but I've been surprised how persistently weak the euro's been because they've lagged the change in the Fed response. And if you look at a chart of OIS, uh, overnight index swap forwards for euro, I mean, they're they're straight up in the air, and they have a much different slope and, and expediency to the appreciation than we do currently in ours, because we've seen so much of the policy tightening gamma occur already in kind of in the Q1 timeframe in the U.S. We're probably going to see that peak gamma occur in the second quarter at, uh, in the ECB. So um, it's it's confusing. It's 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 confusing to say the least to see the euro not to be so persistently weak. But I think that really just means that the growth slowdown in Europe, the market is really pricing in a a nearer-term growth slowdown dynamic in Europe than we are uh, currently experiencing here in the U.S. Darius, so how does crypto fit? Does crypto fit into all of this? I mean, we've seen Bitcoin moving higher, uh, ETH moving higher, but um, you know, some people are like, "Oh, and so are the meme stocks," you know, and it's just a, a reflection of some risk coming back. How, oh, yeah. how do you see those currencies? What's your outlook? 
Yeah, so I mean, our 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 models on on Bitcoin and Ethereum actually broke to bullish uh, today. Uh, we have a, what we call our volatility just a momentum signal, so that is positive development. Uh, I did a, a, a presentation with Dylan Leclerc at Bitcoin Magazine this morning, and he talked about a lot of the positive on-chain dynamics in terms of you know long-term supply, things of that nature. I think that the, all that stuff is you know critically important, but broadly, obviously, you need to understand the macro picture uh, to get crypto right. And right now, we're in this sort of window of time, you know, irrespective of everything we just talked about, uh, talk about the potential risk of a BOJ policy change, which again has not happened yet. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, irrespective of everything we just said, there is still a window of time here for crypto to price in, you know, some positive dynamics that are happening in the digital asset ecosystem, because right now we're still not at the point in the calendar where you're going to see a, a more meaningful enough slowdown, both in the U.S. and global economy, that should catalyze a steeper, de uh, steeper declines, faster declines in risk assets. You know, our belief, and our belief, our, our models were telling us that, you know, the earliest we might start to see that commence is kind of, you know, the May, June, July timeframe. That's sort of when the trending growth slowdown that we're on will start to pick up steam to the downside. It'll get a little bit faster the downside in June, a little bit faster the downside in July. And ultimately, as the market starts to sniff that out and, and see that in realized data terms, that's when we think the sort of downside risk will start to open up. It's not to say the market's going to be down 30% by May 31st or August 30th or August 31st. It's just to say that that's the window of time where you're going to start to see that volatility pick up. And 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 you, and Bitcoin, um and the cryptos continue to trade as a risk asset, it sounds like you're saying. Oh, very much so. But just keep in mind, it's it's March 30th, so we have at least a month or month or two, potentially, before we have to actually start to price that into markets. And so two months from now, you know, you could easily see crypto back up at north of 55, 60,000, um, or not crypto, I'm talking Bitcoin and, and yeah. Ethereum back up in the high threes. Um, if there's no other shock to the global economy, if there's no policy shock out of Japan, if there's no geopolitical shock, uh, you know, I— like I said, I don't have a, a strong view on either of those dynamics. Yeah. I do believe that BOJ is going to maintain its policy, but obviously don't have a crystal ball on the geopolitical front. Well, one thing is that we understand a lot better the, the way it connects in and what we need to be watching for in that area. Weston, thank you so much. Weston thought he was going to come off for like two minutes and give us no. an update. <laughs> thank you, Weston. <laughs> appreciate you, man. That was awesome. As we both struggle with like horrible allergies, but but Weston, we really appreciate that because I think it's you know we're all about informing people and giving them the kind of information that insiders have, and this is what a lot of insiders are talking about and watching. So we really appreciate you coming on and giving us um, such an accessible explanation of what we need to understand about the connection of these markets. And Darius, as always, thank you for your great insight and playing along with us today. We appreciate it, and thanks to all you for watching and the great questions. I hope you enjoyed this. It was a little bit of a departure. We didn't get to all of your questions. Uh, but we're going to be back again. Ash will be here tomorrow with Bart Mellick. Uh, and I'm going to be back on Friday with Rao, who's going to have a lot to say about all this. Um, so we'll get to all of them by then. But, gentlemen, thank you both. And thanks to all of you. Uh, take care and good luck out there. Thank you. Cheers. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.